Father, Lord, I, I'm amazed that you could take somebody like me with all my flaws and give me the opportunity and the privilege and the blessing to preach your word. And I ask, Lord, now as I surrender all of my flaws, all that I am, that you'll take what you have laid on my heart and you would help me to preach your word according to your will. For some, I know that this message may comfort. For others, I know that this message may convict. But Lord, whatever the case may be, I pray, Lord, that your word would minister to us all and let your will be done in this congregation. Father, Lord, now as I, I just step back, Lord, I just want to step aside and let you have complete reign over whatever takes place in this morning's message. I pray, Father, Lord, for the things, Lord, that I want to say, slip away and let you speak, Lord, today. Father, Lord, I, I've had this message on my heart. You have put this message on my heart, and I've been carrying it with me for a month and a half. And in that month and a half, I have preached it to myself a hundred different ways. Father, Lord, when that's the case, typically I get frustrated, Lord, and I just want to confess that, Lord. You know I do. I get frustrated, Lord, because there's things I want to say. There's points I want to make. There's, there's gold nuggets of wisdom, Lord, that I want to share. But, Lord, you know what really needs to be said this morning, Lord, and I just surrender it all to you. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would just speak wisdom to us, help us to, to glean what it is you'd want us to take from this morning's message, to apply it to our lives, to be better witnesses and workers to, for you. Amen. Sometimes God sends a storm. The story of the brief occupation of the undefended city of Washington, D.C. in 1814 is pretty well documented, as well as the tornado that saved it. During the War of 1812, the British were urged to attack Washington. And it was mainly because of a symbolic victory, I guess. Not only that, the British were attempting to make a decisive victory to put an end to the war. And once again, put its colonies back under the heel of the British Empire. On August 24th, Troops from both armies met outside of Washington, D.C., and the British Army easily defeated the inexperienced volunteer American forces. See, at that time, uh, Americas didn't have a standing army. We were basically the same as we were during the Revolutionary War, and British troops had learned how to defend against the guerrilla tactics that worked so well for the American troops during the uh, Revolutionary War. President James Madison uh, and State's, uh, Secretary of State James Monroe were leading the defense of the city, and essentially it wasn't a defense, it was a controlled retreat trying to prevent uh, the British from rushing in so fast that its citizens didn't have time to escape. 
And in fact, this took place in such uh, overwhelming victory for British that President Madison and Secretary of State James Monroe were nearly captured. During this time, Dolly Madison gathered belongings from the White House, including a copy of the iconic Gilbert and Stuart portrait of George Washington as they fled safety. The British troops set fire to the capital of the White House and other government buildings that day. They also took time to finish off the meal at the White House before torching the building. It is said that uh, that is how quickly the British troops took over Washington, that the, literally the meal that Dolly Madison and the White House staff was preparing to eat, they had to flee that quickly. They left it on the tables. That day, however, was very hot for Washington. It was 100 degrees, they said. And with much of the city in, in flames, the British soldiers kept moving through, lighting more fires from one building to another. And as a result, they didn't notice the darkening skies off in the horizon, nor did they notice the thundering and the lightning. But the city residents there knew that a bad storm was on the way, and they quickly took shelter. But the British, though they had no idea just how bad that Washington storm was going to get, the clouds began to swirl and the winds kicked up and a tornado formed in the center of the city and headed straight for the British troops there on Capitol Hill. The Trister ripped buildings from their foundations and trees up by the roots British cannons were tossed around by winds. British troops were killed by falling structures and flying debris. George Robert Cleague, he was a British soldier on the scene, detailed what happened in his memoirs. He said, Of the prodigious force of the wind, it is impossible for you to form any conception. It's more than you can imagine, in other words. Roofs of houses were torn off by it and risk into the air like sheets of paper, while the rain which accompanied it resembled the rushing of a mighty cataract rather than droppings of a shower. Michael Shiner, who was a young slave in Washington, would also recount in his memoirs that he was printed after he had gained his uh, uh, freedom, said that during the event, houses were literally picked up off their foundations. The National Weather Service would say, in the early afternoon, a strong tornado struck northwest Washington downtown. The tornado did major structural damage to the residential section of the city, and they would note, more British soldiers were killed by the tornado and its flying debris than the guns of the American resistance. Cleague would also recall in his memoirs, that while the rains were dousing the fires set by the British, they were able to use the confusion caused by the storm to cover their quick withdrawal from Washington that night. The rain continued for two hours, dousing the flames, and the British had decided it was time to get out of here. A local meteorologist later wrote in their book, which was called Washington Weather, as the British troops were preparing to leave, a conversation was noted between the British admiral, who was in charge of their retreat, 
and a Washington lady regarding the storm, the admiral exclaimed, Great God, madam, is this the kind of storm in which you are accustomed to in this infernal country? The lady answered, No, sir, this is a special interposition and providence of, to drive our enemies from our city. Let me translate. The British Admiral said, Woman, is this the kind of weather you guys are used to around here? And the lady replied, No, sir, this is just God taking out the trash. My friends, sometimes God sends the storm. We often portray a particular turmoil at times in our lives as, as storms. And much like those beasts of nature, the most destructive storms are those that seem to overtake us when we are least aware and prepared. It may seem as though those storms rush into our lives and back out as quickly as they appeared, leaving devastating and devastation and heartache in their trail while we struggle to pick up the pieces of what's left. But I want to make this this observation very clear, and please allow me to make, make this statement and let there be no mistake on this. Not every storm in our life is, in fact, heaven sent. Obviously not. Nevertheless, the fact is, some are. And whether they are direct providence of God or simply happenstance of our living in a fallen world, our challenge is to seek out and hopefully apply some divine benefit to which we weather. Allow me to illustrate this point this way. Sometimes God may send a storm to you. Other times he may send you to the storm. And then again, due to our fallen state, turbulent times may just occur on their own. Whichever the case, our challenge is to seek out God's purposes and values to our lives that these storms may bring. Because remember, in Romans 8, 28, God's word says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. With an inexhaustible resource like the Bible, we could pull from multiple biblical examples this morning. However, today we will put the majority of our re reading from the book of Jonah. And if you'd like to turn there and follow along with me as we get into this morning's message, you're more than welcome to. Uh, but uh, we'll have those scriptures up on the screen for us. We're going to focus primarily on the first chapter of the book of Jonah. Uh, it is only a, a short book, four chapters, and we're not going to read all of them. Uh, and we're going to skip around a little bit. But we're going to be primarily in the first book, first chapter of the book of Jonah. Again, let us pray before we start reading. Father, please bless the reading of your word. Let the message that is contained here in your word, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to present this message, Lord, again in the way that you'd, that you'll be pleased. Amen. Jonah, chapter 1. Verse 1 reads... The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
God spoke to Jonah in his own unique way and powerful way. There was no doubt that it was God who was speaking to Jonah. And he will, in, in chapter, in verse 2, tell Jonah three things. Get up, go, and preach. Notice here in the verse, first verse, God was calling Jonah into action. There was a need. And God's will was for Jonah to meet that need. I would say that today our Lord likewise calls us into action. In Daniel 11th chapter verse 32 it reads, The people who know their God will be strong and take action. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 says, Therefore preparing your minds for action. The entire book of James is written about us putting our faith into action, but it's summarized really good in verse one, verse one, uh, uh, excuse me, chapter one, verse twenty-two, where it says, "Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only." But the greatest, greatest example of this is in Matthew twenty-eight, verse nineteen, where Jesus says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of this way. Just as Jonah was told, get up, go, and preach. Jesus calls on us today, go, make, baptize, and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he calls us because there is a great need. And it is his will for us to meet that need. Verse 2 in Jonah says, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Go to Nineveh, he says. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It was the largest and most predominant city at that time. And my friends, it was not a city of Israel. God had called Jonah to a pagan Gentile city to call them to repentance. Our Lord will from time to time send us to places that we don't want to go. And why? Because there's a need. To people that we might not want to talk to. Why? Because there's a need. Jonah was being called to go preach to Nineveh. A people that he didn't like. A people that he felt was worthy of judgment. But there was a need there to hear from the Word of God. And why is that need important? Why is there a need out there? Why is there a need for your co-workers, your family, your neighbors to hear the gospel? What is it, why is there an importance for you to tell it? 
Romans 10, 14 says, How then, how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Jonah was called and sent so they can hear. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members. You're being called to deliver a message of hope to them. Jonah, on the other hand, in verse 3 says, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into go to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Over and over again, where was Jonah called to go? Nineveh. Over and over again, where did he go? Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Actually, if you look at a map, in exactly the opposite direction. It is clear that all actions do not lead us closer to God. He got up and he went. But he didn't go where God had sent him. There are a lot of people in the church today. And I'm not singling out our church. I'm saying this in the church, God's church today. That are so busy doing for doing's sake. That they're not doing what God has called them to do. They're going for going's sake. But they're not going where God has sent And they may doing it, they may be doing it in such a way that they think they're in God's will. They think they're doing it the right way. Well, I'm doing it the right way, so obviously God's going to bless me in this. They think just because I'm doing it and I'm doing it the right way, God's going to bless me, even though I'm not doing exactly or going where God has sent me. Charles Spurgeon said this about Jonah. He said, Jonah might have wondered, and I quote, I can go to Tarshish if I want to. I paid the fare. I'm not a stowaway. Yet apologies for disobedience are mere refuges for lies. If you do the wrong thing in the rightest way in which it can be done, it does not make it right. If you go contrary to the Lord's will, even though you do it in the most decent and perhaps the most devout manner, it is nevertheless sinful and will bring you under condemnation. Jonah paid his fare. He didn't break any laws. What he did was acceptable to those around him. But it wasn't acceptable to God. He also says here that he did these things to flee from the Lord's presence. Jonah should have remembered. He should know this, and we should remember this also if we try to get and flee from God's conviction. Psalm 39, verses 7 through 10 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven... 
you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You cannot escape the presence of God. Now let me be clear on this also. We are not saying this morning that obedience and close fellowship with God equates to a life without storms. That is certainly not the case. On the contrary, we know this all too well. And we'll talk more about that next week. Because like I said, sometimes God sends the storm to you. And other times he may send you to the storm. However, what we see here is an example of one of the reasons why God may send a storm into our lives. And whether it is out of a misinterpretation of God's desire, when we think we know what God wants, or you simply do it out of outright disobedience, it may take a storm to shake us up and make us realize that we're on the wrong path. Verse 4 says, But the Lord threw a great wind into the sea. If you don't think he did it once, he's not allowed or able to do it again, he most certainly can. And if he did it to Jonah, he could do it for you. He could do it for me. And I believe he still does it today. And it says there, And such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. Now, here is a very painful reminder. Sometimes we find ourselves in storms that are not of our creation, that are not there for us, but we find ourselves caught up in somebody else's storm. The sailors in that ship, they weren't running from the presence of God. They weren't outright disobeying, disobeying God's will. Their job, their, they were called to go to Tarshish. That was their job. But because of Jonah's disobedience, they were now caught in a storm. This is a reminder to us that our actions, our decisions, our obedience and disobedience has consequences not on just yourself, but to those around you as well. Verse 5. The sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten their load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the vessel and stretched out and had fallen into a deep sleep. Notice there, it says, the sailors were afraid. And fear was the proper response. As Jonathan Edward reminded us in his message, it is a fearful thing to find yourselves in the hand of an angry God. And they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. And isn't it amazing how a God-sent storm could make you reevaluate the things of this world? 
Those things that are most precious to us. Those things that are, are valued above all else to us. When we find ourselves in the midst of one of God's sent storms. Those things aren't as important as we once thought they were. Meanwhile. That is a sad, sad word. Meanwhile. Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out, fallen in a deep sleep. While those around him were fear for their lives, looking and seeking for answers, calling on what God's they thought to call out to. Meanwhile, while all of that was happening, Jonah had fallen into a deep sleep. I cannot help but think about how many supposed Bible-believing, born-again believers are out there who are in a deep sleep while the storms are raging out there, while the world is seeking everything they can think of to find an answer, they're calling on the gods they know to call on, and they're not getting any help, and they're not being told the truth because the church, meanwhile, is fast asleep deep inside the ship. Which brings us to another reason, and justification for God to send those storms. The Lord may send a storm to call us out of a place of complacency to wake us up. To see the reality of the dangers and the needs around us. Verse 6. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing down here sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe this God would consider us and we won't perish. What are you doing here? Sound asleep. Brennan Manning is quoted as saying, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And the world is calling out to us today, going, what are you doing? You say this is the end? You say that we're in sin? You're saying that there's lives in danger? You're saying that God is a way of... of to, but you're sound asleep. He, the world is calling, get up. Call on your God. Do we really want to wait around until the world tells us to get up and call on God? How sad of that would be. Verse 7. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Didn't we know who is to blame for this trouble we're in? So they cast lot, and the lot singled out 
Jonah. Verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? There are a lot of questions out there today. A heavenly sent storm may cause those who put their trust in this world to start to question everything. Who is? What is? Where are? What is? What people? We had better be prepared to deliver them the correct answer. And to be able to point out where our hope lives. In Acts 27, this is a great example of this. I almost, almost used this as our primary verse this morning, but uh, God led me in a different direction. May use it next week. Acts 27, verse 22. Paul is on a ship, storm raging. He says, now I urge you to take courage because there is no loss of any lives, but only the ship, Paul would tell the sailors. For the last night, an angel of God, who I belong to and serve, stood by me and said, Do not be afraid. Paul, it is necessary for you to appear before Caesar, and indeed, God has graciously, graciously given all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men. Because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. We need to have the correct answer. There is hope. There is a purpose. Verse 9. And he answered them. Jonah's response. I'm Hebrew. And I worship the Lord the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Verse 10. Then the men were seized with a great fear and said to him, What have you done? And the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. The storms with divine purpose will hopefully bring about confession and eventually repentance. So they said to him, what should we do to you so that the sea will be calm for us? For the sea was gritting worse and worse. And he answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea for that will calm, it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Acknowledgement, confession. But there's 13 there. It's kind of surprising to me, but I guess it really shouldn't be. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. And I thought about that verse for quite a while, and I came to this conclusion. Some men and women even though the answer and the path to salvation has been given, will still try to force the way through by their own strength. 
They had been told the answer. Here is your salvation. This is what you must do. But nevertheless, they continued to row hard on their own. Verse 14. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Verse 15. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him in the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And the men were seized with a great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Again, sometimes God sends the storms to you, and other times he may send you to the storm. But either way, we might not know who is watching us and who is impacted by that. We have a tendency when we find ourselves in the midst of the storm just to look at what's going on here. Oh me, oh my. And we fail to realize that there are others that are watching you. How do you act? How do you react? What is your response to this? And therefore we find another reason and a purpose for God sending the storm. It might be he's sending the storm to bring a testimony and to bring about the fear of God to unbelievers, which hopefully would lead them to salvation. Notice there, the end result for these sailors, they called out to the Lord. They had a great fear of God, and they made vows, and they, committed, they made sacrifices to Him. They turned from their pagan gods, and turn to the one true God. As, all, all as a result of the storm that was sent because of Jonah's sin. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Chapter 2 verse 1. We're coming to, to the end of the message. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And he said there in verse 2, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. He answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside hell. You heard my voice. And from inside the belly of the fish, after his confession, he repented of his sin. And he says there in verse 9, But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed because salvation belongs to the Lord. Sometimes the storms are in your life to bring about confession and repentance because you have strayed from the will of God. And although I could possibly end the message right there. I feel that there may be an absence of hope as a result. So I'm going to point this out. For I am called to teach and preach God's word. As well as his gospel which is the good news. 
Because not only did Jonah, Jonah in the belly of that whale confess and repent, if he remained in the belly of that whale, well, where is the good news? God does not leave you in the belly of the fish. God did not leave Jonah in the belly of the fish. Verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out unto dry land. Mercy is at the end of that storm in your life. Mercy. Jonah would later account, uh, when he's speaking, Jonah would later say, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, so to anger, abounding in faithful love. And one who relents from sending disaster. Psalm 30 reminds us that in the midst of our storm, as bad as things are. Verse 1 says, I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me out of show. You spared me from among those going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts but for a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but joy, my friends, comes in the morning. There may be a storm raging in your life right now. But there is a purpose for it. You may not understand the purpose of it, but you need to know that the end, at the end of that storm, there is mercy. And as they get ready to give an invitation, I'm just going to remind you, sometimes God sends the storm set us back on the right path. Sometimes God sends us to the storm to call us out of complacency. Wake up! Get up! Sometimes God calls us through the storm into confession and repentance. And let us never forget, sometimes God sends the storm our way to bring a testimony and to bring about the fear of God into those unbelievers around us. You don't know who's watching you. Stay faithful. And I'm going to say this this morning again as we close. I don't think it's a far stretch. I put it this way. I've heard it said that you can classify everybody in the into three categories. You're either in the storm right now, coming out of one, or there's a storm on the horizon that you haven't seen coming that you are about to go into. Whatever the case may be, whatever the reason for the storm that's in your life, seek God's purpose in it. There's a purpose in that. And even if the storm, and again, we'll talk about this next week, and even if the storm is somebody else's storm, or maybe you were purposely sent to that storm for some reason. Again, 
Next week, we'll see what God has to share with us on that. Be thankful. Know that if it's because of something you've done, there is forgiveness for that. There's mercy for that. God can put you back on the right path. If you've been asleep, guess what? God is calling you. There's time to wake up. There are those out there who are seeking answers to the multitude of questions. What's going on? There's war. There's famine. There's earthquakes. There's pestilence. There's disease. What's happening out there? We have the answers. Let's all stand. The altar is open. If you need to feel like you need to pray, then God will, and please come and do so. I'll be happy to pray with you. If not, you can pray where you are, but let the Lord's will be done.